0: All right. Well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here. And we uh, started this church uh, just a little over six years ago. And we've loved being in this space and uh, enjoy the neighborhood, enjoy the community. And so, um, yeah, we are in Romans and we have been in Romans. This is actually week 28, uh, believe it or not. We're going to be in here for uh, a little while longer. Not actually as long as I expected, but it'll, we'll get in. We'll be done uh, towards the beginning of the summer of twenty-four. Uh, we'll be finishing up. So t- week 28, and I'm not going to obviously recap everything. But in chapters one through three, which is kind of where we spent the spring uh, in Romans, looking at what is the gospel and what how does the apostle Paul explain the gospel. he says, it doesn't matter uh, what your ethnicity is. I don't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile, any other any other uh, ethnicity, if, if whether you are religious and obey the law, or you are irreligious and could care less about the law, you all need Jesus. So that's his whole entire thing. It's all about Jesus. It's got nothing to do with you. We've, we're all sinners. Uh, and We all deserve the wrath of God. And then we now have been looking at, in chapters four through eight, uh, kind of the, the the next step. Then, okay, if that's the gospel, how does it impact my life? And so that is what these chapters in Romans have been specifically about. How do we live? And so, if the gospel's true, and especially in chapter six that we're looking at last week, uh, Paul answered the question of like, okay, well, I guess we can we can just sin so that grace will abound. And then this week, there's another obvious question that comes into mind. Well, if God has saved us and law does nothing, good works do nothing to save me, well, then I guess we can do whatever we want, right? And so the Apostle Paul is gonna address that. How do we live then? I don't know if you have ever quit a job. I um, ha- I have quit jobs before, but not like because I was mad or angry or I didn't like my employer or anything like that. i have just personally never had anything like that. Um, but I've been on a job where someone did, you know, kind of rage quit. Uh, I've been, you know, in a video game where I've been being destroyed, you know, 90 to nothing. And then I, I just quit, you know, like I'm not finishing that game. Uh, and then they, people obviously get really mad wherever they are on the other side of the world. Um, uh, but I have been, I remember I worked at a, at a an, an injection molding plant, uh, Anchor Plastic over in Golden Valley, probably a decade ago. And uh, just as a summer internship and I... And it's all these huge machines, right? And you, you melt these little plastic beads down and you inject it into this shape of whatever it's going to be. And I don't remember what they were. They were making like plastic coat hangers for like schools, you know, something like that. And, um, and, and me and a bunch of other interns were standing around. We don't know anything about plastic. We don't know anything about these machines. And the floor manager, something happened where a hy- hydraulic uh, line burst and his fluid started going everywhere. And he, it's not funny, he slipped and he, and he fell pretty hard. And I remember he just got up and he was like, I am not getting paid enough for this. And he just walked out. He just left. And so now me and three other interns that don't know anything, there's fluid <laughs> spraying everywhere. Machines are going, but they're not working right. So we, I was like, I guess we hit the big red button because I, I don't know what we're supposed to do. They have this idea of, of a quit and then what happens, right? You get, a, you get a, a new job, you get a new employer. I don't know if you ever had a place that you were like a local at and that was kind of under new management. Angela and I, we loved going to, what was that Italian restaurant? The, um, uh, remember, you know, Macaroni Grill. We loved going to Macaroni Grill and then they like completely changed their, their menu and it just shifted. It got a little too posh or something. It's like, I just want ravioli. Can I get ravioli? No, can't do that anymore right? And so there's a shift, right? New, new boss, new management. Um, a lot of uh, the women in here, probably if you're married, most likely some of you, I know, changed your name. It's a big deal. You got to go through the rigmarole of changing your name. And there's a lot more that goes on with, with changes. But when we see this text that we're going to look at with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter six, we're going to see that this is true of a belief. There's a new life. We get a new employer, if you will. We get a, we get a new name and much much more. Last week, we looked at this uh, text of Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14, entitled Sin Boldly, just kind of a phrase old reformer Martin Luther uh, had said uh, in the Diet of Worms, uh, whatever, old dead guy. Uh, but he had this idea like, hey, so I can just do, can we just do whatever, whatever we want then? And the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 and 6 can say, well, no, that's not the case. But it's a natural question because in Romans 5, this was two weeks ago, the end of it, uh, we read here, now the law came to increase the trespass. Laws come in and sin increases. And again, we see this all around. There's a law posted, right? Uh, a speed limit or don't do this thing, like whatever it is. You're like, oh, now I kind of want to do that. And the other night, my son, I gave him a little battery powered fan. And. Um, and, and he just, it, was just, it was just big enough where I was like, I don't know if I should tell him not to put his fingers in there because then he's going to be tempted to put his, his fingers in there. But then he started licking it, right? And I was like, no, 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 do not lick the fan. But now that I said don't lick it, I was like, but are we okay don't to take that away from you? Because I feel like you're going to want to lick the fan. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what happens. You have law, trespass. Sins increased because of the law. There was nothing wrong with licking fans until dad said, don't lick the fan. And so if I do, now sin happens, right? And so, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the apostle Paul uh, is saying, if, if my readers are tracking with me, if sin increases and grace abounds more, then the logical question is, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? If sin only produces more grace from Jesus, if it only makes Jesus looks bigger and better and stronger than my sin, well, then why not just continue sinning? And his answer then is by no means. Like absolutely not, immediately no. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the body by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's this union now with Christ. We are buried with him, the baptism of his death, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. I, there's something about me now that's united with Christ in my faith because of what he's done that changes my perspective. So why, I, wouldn't, I, I shouldn't have this desire to wanna go on sinning just so Jesus can forgive me. There's a shift here because of our union with Christ, which now then leads into this morning's text, Romans chapter 6, 15 through twenty three. I have a quote here from Doug Moo. I've got a few more quotes from uh, this commentary than I normally do, but uh, they're very, very helpful. And so uh, Doug Moo here says, Paul asserts in Romans chapter six, that's where we were last week, and now we'll be the rest of this week uh, today, that Christ's death on our behalf frees us not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin also. Justification acquittal from the guilt of sin, right? There's a, there's two different words, theological words, justification, acquittal from sin. It's as if I've never sinned, right? That The song, uh, um, uh, it is well with my soul. I, I can't hardly sing the, the lyrics of the one verse where it says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought that my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. That is justification. That when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see my sin and my grossness and my guilt and my shame. He sees Jesus. I have been changed. I've been adopted. I am now his. Because of the finished work of Christ. That's justification. Sanctification is the other side of the coin. That just means deliverance from sinning. That there's something that happens now because I'm in Christ that I should be sinning less that I wanna pursue and become more like Christ. Deliverance from sinning, and it must not be confused, but neither can they be separated. Sanctification is the pursuit, my pursuit of holiness and fighting sin and killing sin, justification, one, done. But they're two sides of the same coin, and they're both by the power of the Holy Spirit that we need to depend on the Spirit. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, if you're able, go ahead and stand uh, with me as we read this text for today. Romans chapter 6, we'll be reading 15 through 23. And again, this is a reading from the ESV uh, this morning. This is Romans 6, 15 through 23. Starting verse 15, it says this. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit you were getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. From the end of those things is death. But from now on, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, you may be seated. Again, just using Douglas Moo here to kind of set the the tone of where this passage is going. Douglas Moo, uh, again, in his commentary on, on Romans says, "'Paul makes clear that there is no such thing "'as human autonomy, a freedom from all outside powers and influences, Either people are under the power of sin or they are under the power of God. The question is not then whether one will have a master, but which master will one serve? Serving sin, Paul shows, leads to death. Serving God leads to life. That's really um, uh, where, where this whole text that we're going to be kind of camping out, this idea uh, that, that Moo presents here. And so you're going to see it as we read in chapter 6, 1, uh, there's the same format, okay? So you've got, he's gonna present the question, what shall we say then? And then in our text is just what then, okay? So, th- okay? so again, sin increases, grace abounds more. So what shall we say then? And then the question, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That was last week. This week, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? There, there's, there's a lot of similarities in the question, but it's, it's different, The one says, oh, I can keep sinning to make Jesus look bigger. Now it is law if I am not saved by law. If God doesn't love me more by being a good person or a good Christian, well, then I guess I can do whatever I want, right? That's what's happening. And both times he has that same phrase, Moiganito, by no means. It is this super strong, God forbid, absolutely not. This doesn't make any sense. And then he's gonna have a lengthy answer and discourse with himself to us. Um, or for us, uh, do you not know? And that is kind of a, 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 a what do you call it? A rhetorical question, right? It's like, do you, do you not know? Like this, and he's gonna go on and explain what's happening. All right, so again, the question here that's being asked, are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? I can do whatever I want and then still be forgiven. And what we have to ask ourselves is, is that love? Is that a relationship, right? If it's, all, oh man, Jesus loves me and I, yeah, I love him back because that lets me do whatever I want. That's not really love. If we maybe take a marriage uh, relationship for an example, I just did a marriage last weekend. Uh, it was great. It was beautiful. It was called The, the Roots uh, uh, Vineyard somewhere north of Stillwater. It was gorgeous. Uh, anyways. Uh, what am I talking about? Oh yeah, wedding last week, the wedding last week, doing that. And to say, okay, hey, here, here we are. And, and every single wedding I've ever done, I mean, for, for 15 years now, um, that, when, that when we do the ring exchange, that I quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, again, a former uh, theologian from, from Germany. Um, and uh, he wrote a, a, a sermon called a wedding from a prison cell. He was, in, he was imprisoned under uh, Hitler and, and was executed, but that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. He, though, talks about how, hey, from now on, uh, your love does not sustain your marriage, but your marriage sustains your love. And so as we give these rings, I say, this is your crown, right? This tells the entire world that she is yours and he is yours, right? That's, that's So if Ryan in that situation was like, oh man, she's mine, she's committed to me, uh, we are going to, like, she has to forgive me for everything I do, I guess. That means I can just go do whatever I want and then we're all good. Well, then I think we would all say, Ryan, I don't know if you actually love your wife. I don't know if you've ever actually loved your wife, if that's your attitude. I'll put a ring on it, I guess I'm out. I can do whatever I want. No, of course not. We would say, by no means. God forbid, of course not. And it's the same exact thing with our relationship with Christ. So this thesis statement of this passage, again, I've already read it, but going down to those last, let me just start in verse 17 uh, for time. He says, but thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Douglas Moo kind of hinted at this in, in the, one of the quotes, but slavery is the only choice. And I know that we hear that word slavery and we, and we go, wow, that's really intense. And that's why Paul in the next couple of verses, I, I use something in human terms that we all understand. We understand wrongly that it's not okay to be owned or to own other people, yes. But he's using that as an analogy to say, we are owned by something. We are owned by sin and enslaved to sin or we are enslaved to the freedom that we have in Christ. Those are the only options. There's no such thing as total freedom to be able to do whatever I want to. Verse 17 really emphasizes this. He has this, he kind of sneaks it in there a little bit. He says, but thanks be to God that you who are once slave to sins have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He's saying that we are, we go from sin to being committed to this new kind of teaching. That this isn't like uh, I I buy my slavery or buy my freedom or someone buys my freedom and now I can just do whatever I want. I go from, from slavery from one owner to another owner, from one master to a new master. But I'm still set free and I'm set free from the bondage of sin to become a slave of righteousness. So then uh, Jesus talks about this in John chapter eight. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, see, we are free in Christ. Yes, we are, but we're in Christ. There's a union with Christ. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, anyone Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. It's a similar phrase. I know uh, it's been used throughout the years in, in the church that we all worship something, right? It's very similar. We we worship something whether whether you like it or not. Like, well, I don't I don't worship God. I don't I don't worship you. Wor- you still worship something or someone. It's the same the same way. Uh, there is something or some person that we worship. The question here that Paul um, is is asking is, "Who or what do you worship, or who or what are you enslaved to?" Not, "Are you enslaved, or are you free?" It's not a yes or a no. The, the answer is yes. The question is to who or what. But Paul here is not just concerned with the who, but also the why. What is the motivation then for me now that I'm in righteousness or a slave to righteousness? to obey, to pursue sanctification. Where is my heart posture in that? That's what Paul is really trying to get at. Just two more quotes here from, from Doug and we'll be done with him for the day. But he says this, Paul sees in God's grace, not only a liberating power, but also a constraining one. Right? Do, you, do you hear that? There, there is something about it because, and I, listen, and I'm guilty of this a lot, a lot of, of being free in Christ. I say it every single week, quoting quoting Galatians Uh, where I say, hey, you've been set free to be free. You've been set free for freedom's sake. So don't submit again to the yoke of slavery, of the law, and of sin. You're free to be free in it, but I am free in Christ. There's a constraining pursuit of holiness that entails fighting sin and killing sin. It's not, well, I'm just in Christ, so I can just do whatever I want. There is a pursuit of holiness that happens. Again, Paul sees God's grace not only as a liberating power, but a constraining one as well. The constraint of a willing, willing obedience that comes from a renewed heart and mind and ultimately the impulse and leading of God's spirit. Again, we've talked about this. I enter into a new realm. I go from death to life and I take off my old unrighteousness or Christ does. And then he clothes me in his righteousness. My motivations are now different in being led by God's spirit to pursue sanctification. Uh, again, Doug says here, Paul is out to emphasize the significance of obedience in the Christian life in a context where such an emphasis is necessary to counter false libertinism. I probably didn't say that right. Libertarianism, just kidding. Uh, libertinism. <laughs> what, the, what is the idea? This false idea of freedom. I, this is so incredibly rampant in our culture. It probably always was true. It's probably not just like our thing that we deal with this idea of what is my true self, right? I just got to be true to myself and I, need to, I, need, I just need to be myself. And something makes me uncomfortable or makes me have to work at it. And I go, ah, that's just not me anymore. I need, to, I need to hear my heart. I need to be true to myself. And what Doug and what the apostle Paul and what Jesus are saying is there's no such thing. You don't always get to do whatever you want, whenever you want. It's just true. We are Americans, are we not? Most of us have a citizenship in the United States. We would say we are probably one of the most, if not the most free country in the world. And yet we have a lot of laws that we willingly submit under because it betters society. And it's the same way when it comes to Christ. The freedom of the Christian is not freedom to do what one wants, but freedom to obey God willingly, joyfully, naturally. Obedience, says John Calvin, again, another reformer. It is that obedience is the mother of the true knowledge of God. You wanna to get to know God, obey his commands. They're not arbitrary. They're not wildly misleading. A command for me to love my wife the way that Christ loves the church is life-giving in America. For for me to pursue holiness, to 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 be freed from from lust and pornography is freeing. I don't just oh all these religions. If I could just get out of the church and get rid of religion, which I would say yeah, amen to that. As far as this idea of religion and religiosity of these laws that I can't do because I'm a Christian, this is freedom that we have in Christ. When we see Him, like truly see Jesus, the one who died for our sins. And then he says, come, follow me. None of the disciples that go after Christ go, "Ah, let me think about it for a little while. The ones who do that don't end up being disciples. It's the ones who go and they jump out of their boats and they pursue after Jesus. They see him as the Messiah. And they say, there is nothing else for me in life to pursue. Only Christ. Apostle Paul then is going to say this, as you presented yourself to sin, now present yourself to righteousness. Again, he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We are no longer under law. We are no longer under obligation to do right things, to be in a right standing with God. That's justification. We just sang about it a few times. That's a lot of our songs are just gospel about justification. It's all about Christ and what he did. We are called though to be holy and to pursue holiness. Holiness is a very complicated word. It just, it's, it's an otherness, it's a pureness. It's a differentness than the people in the world around us. And I am to pursue that different way of living to be more like Christ. And the thing is what I think, and again, what will happen a lot of times when you start hearing the pursuit of holiness, we're so quick to be like, that's legalism. That's legalism. We're still following under the law. We're still trying to fight sin by being a good person. That's not holiness. Holiness is the pursuit of being like Christ. And legalism is not freedom. The more sin that we kill, the more freedom in Christ that we feel and we recognize. This is the freeing power of the gospel. At Hope, a lot of times I've talked uh, frequently about legalism and license. Legalism, again, I'm gonna give some definitions, but they're two slippery slopes. And the problem with thinking of slippery slopes, at least I do mentally, I think, okay, there's like a, a road that's icy on both sides, right? And we got to go right down the middle, this third way, this gospel way. But if I'm, if I'm legalistic and I'm like, oh, I need a little bit more licentiousness in my life to get me back into the middle. Like, no, that's, that's not what that means, okay? There are two slippery slopes. They're both bad. Okay? I don't, there's just no, all analogies break down, Okay. But there's a third way, there's a gospel way. And so this is from Bob Thune's uh, Gospel-Centered Life, uh, the book I've used many times, probably half a dozen times in six years. This idea of legalism, right? And so he he gives an example of, let's just take one law. Let's take one thing, even under what we would might call the law of Christ or this new covenant law that says lying is bad. Forget, I don't necessarily forget, but the big 10, the 10 commandments, that was a different covenant. We are now in Christ. And so now, though, we're still told not to lie, don't lie, and so that's the law. God says, do not lie, and you try your very best not to lie. This is what it means to live under the law. You will inevitably discover that you cannot not lie, even when you lower the standards about what that means. i lower my standards. There's no way, it's impossible for me to not lie. I mean, I Uh, exaggerating, I guess maybe that's not a lie, right? Well, I I did this thing, you know, right? Uh, I've been seeing some memes of like, oh, I'm never gonna lie to my kids, right? I'm never gonna do it. And it's like me the next day, Santa Claus, the Easter bunny, uh, you know, they they said that if you do that, then, you know, whatever, right? And just lie. It's like, well, is that really a big deal? Well, (laughs) ask Jesus. It seems like maybe lying's bad. And so then we just do everything we can to not lie and we fall short. And we get hurt and we fall into this cycle of legalism. And then we go, I can't do it. And then we then lean over into licentiousness, license. Same thing, lying, don't do it. You can admit from the start that you cannot obey this command and simply dismiss it as a biblical ideal. You're not actually expected to obey. This is what it means to abuse God's grace, which is exactly what we're dealing with today and to give in to sin. Those are the two sides. And no matter what the law is, no matter what the thing is at stake, we are always bent to one or the other. And sometimes it's both or just going back and forth. But the gospel, the gospel, the freedom that we have in Christ is what's called the the cross chart. You have this timeline going on and you have this, uh, this space, this time of conversion. And from there, the top line is a growing awareness of the holiness of God. He is good and he's pure. And the more I mature as a believer, the more I get a better glimpse of who God is. And the bottom one is a growing awareness of my sin and my sinfulness, that the more I mature as a believer, I might be sinning less, but I am way more aware of how wicked and tainted everything is that I do. I am more aware of my depravity. And when that happens, you have that top one, the growing awareness of the holiness, growing awareness of my sinfulness, and the cross becomes huge. The gospel is just massive. We see Jesus, and then we wanna run to him, and we want to obey. Do we always do that? No, we don't, and that's why we minimize the gospel. We minimize the, the cross by religion and legalism, thinking, oh no, he's, it's actually achievable. He set this bar of holiness, and I can do it. And then we minimize the cross. And then the other side of guilt and shame in the bottom. So no, no, actually I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm not actually as sinful. And we shrink the cross, that's not the gospel. The gospel, I should have freedom to confess my sins because Jesus is just to forgive me of my sins. But you know who else is? My spouse, my friends, when they see the gospel and they believe the gospel and I believe the gospel, we can forgive each other. We can expose sin and we can fight sin together and We can make the gospel and the cross big. A growing view of who Christ is is our motivation for holiness. I mentioned this kind of going back to the original uh, illustration, if you will, about quitting. We serve a new master. There was a song, kid song, that I used to sing back in the day, called "I Sing a New Song." Anyone know this one? It was just a call and repeat. You want to sing it? You want to learn it? Uh, it was just. I sing a new song. I sing a new song. Since Jesus came, since Jesus came, serve a new master. You guys are really getting into this. Wear a new name, right? And then and then walk a new road, have a new goal, no new peace down deep in my heart. And I remember as a kid, I remember because we would do this thing like I wear a new name, you know, walk a new road. We had all these all these different things. But I didn't fully grasp it. I didn't understand it. What does it mean? I have a I have a new song, I have a new master, I wear a new. Name, I walk a new road, right? But in Christ, there's so much more. We see these things, we might feel these things of going from death to life, going from darkness to light. But we also have a new perspective on life that there's hope, even in the midst of suffering, as Paul says in chapter 4. We have a worldview that helps us answer the really, really difficult questions of life. Where did this all begin? What went wrong? What can be done to fix it? And what's the future hold? Those are some really intense worldview questions. I now have this in Christ as a worldview. Everything that I do, right? It's, it's wearing glasses. Uh, Paul Stiver, when we're teaching our systematic theology class, he always loves to bring up um, uh, national treasure. And uh, uh, Benjamin Gates is the, uh, is the guy and he has the little glasses, right? He's, I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence, right? I saw someone had a tattoo of that uh, on their forearm the other day. Uh, it was bold, it was a bold move. Uh, and, and, and so what does he do? He steals the Declaration of Independence and he has to go find these glasses from Benjamin Franklin. And as he's doing it, right, he's got these different lenses that lets him see the map. That is now us as Christians. Everyone has perspective. Everyone has different glasses. Everyone's wearing them. But what is the shade of those? Because if it's me and what I want or or even other things that we might deem as good, my family, my job, my education, everything then is viewed through that and that goal. But as we become believers, something radical changes. I have a new name. I serve a new master. I walk a new road. I have a new goal. And we put these glasses on and we see Jesus and his gospel in everything. It affects everything that we do. It affects my motivation. We get a new motivation for work, for family, for everything. And we get joy. Joy, again, is one of those things, and you've probably heard this before, but it's different from happiness, right? I know you don't like this about me, but the Green Bay Packers bring me happiness. They bring me happiness, not joy. it's Vikings fans, you get that. They make you happy. There's no joy. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it, couldn't help it. Right? There are things in this world, my kids make me so happy. My wife makes me so happy. But they might not always be around. right? And my world, although seemingly might come crashing down, I have joy in Christ. I have a new purpose. I have a new mission. Our vision statement at Hope, I want to see as many to honor God by seeing as many people as possible become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's a different idea. It's a different mission because of our new master. The last few verses here in Romans 15, or excuse me, six, verse 20 says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from which the things you are now ashamed For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Does anyone have any idea what this is a picture of? A city. Does anyone know which city? It's not Minneapolis. It is Berlin. Do you see anything interesting about this picture based on the light? You can see a very distinct line in the color of the light. The orangey color is from what was once West Berlin. And this was just taken, well, 2013 from Chris Hatfield. Was that the astronomer? Not astronomer, astronaut. You know what I'm talking about? Anyways, Canadian. He was up there for like forever, like a year and a half. Anyways, he takes this picture, and you can see, even from space, 30 years after the Berlin Wall is torn down, that there is a divide. That you have West Berlin that was free capital market, and then you have then East Berlin under socialism, and to this day, the light bulbs and the fixtures on the streets. And and the reason, because after he took this picture, right, sociologists and people just went crazy. Why 30 years later, later hasn't this happened? And they went and they said, that's because when the capitalist side, this free market, people wanted brighter lights to show the streets and to show their, their, their shops and all the different things that they were selling and their wares, where in the East, they didn't have it. Now, I have used this illustration for several times, but this is the first time I'm using this illustration to actually work with the text that we're in today. And that is Romans chapter six. So I wanted to take a different uh, take on it. And so I took my illustration on East and West Berlin and the freedom that we now have as a new, a new name, a new master, and I, and I entered it into chat GTP and just said, fix it, okay? Uh, and it did a really good job. And I knew, because I thought, okay, I could try to play this off as a true story. And then you'd be like, that seems a little too on point <laughs> for what we're talking about. And I was like, I could act as if I wrote it. And then you'd be like, eh, it's a little too well-written for Brian to do that. So I was like, I guess I got to be honest with them. Uh, so here we are, chat GPT. Uh, I, this, is, this is the story. Let me read this. And I think you'll, you'll make the obvious connections of going from one master to another master, one of sin and death and darkness, one of freedom and life and light. Once upon a time in the heart of Soviet-controlled East Berlin, there lived a man named Karl. Carl was an industrious and diligent worker who toiled day in and day out at a small factory. However, his life was overshadowed by his cruel and tyrannical boss, Herr Schmidt. Mm -hmm. Herr Schmidt was known throughout the factory for his unrelenting strictness and heartlessness. He constantly berated his employees, including Carl, for the slightest mistakes and rarely showed any appreciation for their hard work. Under Herr Schmidt's oppressive rule, Carl felt trapped and miserable. He had no choice but to continue working for him to support his family. One fateful day, an unexpected opportunity arose. A kind-hearted benefactor from West Berlin, Herr Mueller, learned about Carl's plight, and Herr Mueller had heard of Karl's dedication, strong worth at work ethic, and he decided to offer him a chance at freedom. He purchased a visa for Carl, allowing him to move to West Berlin and work at a different factory under his own supervision. Carl's heart leapt with joy at the prospect of escaping Herr Schmidt's tyranny. He bid farewell to his family in East Berlin and crossed into West Berlin, where Herr Müller welcomed him with open arms. Under Herr Müller's guidance, Carl flourished. He worked even harder than before, not out of fear, but out of genuine gratitude. He felt a deep connection to Herr Müller, knowing that his newfound freedom and happiness were all thanks to this benevolent man. Well done, AI. Well done. However, Karl couldn't completely escape his past. Occasionally, he would see Er Schmidt on the, on the streets of Berlin shouting angrily at him from across the road, even though there was no longer any power that he held over Karl. It seemed Herr Schmidt could, couldn't bear to see Karl thriving without his oppressive grip. At first, Karl would instinctively obey his old boss's barked orders, even when they made no sense in his new job. But as time passed, Karl began to realize that he was a free man now. He no longer had to bow to Er Schmidt's cruelty. He could choose his own path, make his own decisions, and stand up for himself. One day as Er Schmidt ranted and raved from the opposite sidewalk, Carl stopped in his tracks. He looked at Er Schmidt straight in the eye, a newfound confidence radiated from him and said, I don't work for you anymore. I am free, and I choose not to listen to your harsh words. Herr Schmidt was left speechless, his authority shattered by Carl's newfound self-assurance. Carl turned and walked away, his heart lighter than it had ever been. From that moment forward, he no longer allowed the shadows of his past to haunt him. He embraced his newfound freedom, knowing that he had the power to shape his own destiny and work for a boss who truly valued and appreciated him. I think the connection's a little obvious, (laughs) maybe a little blatant, but that's us. That you have sin and temptation and everything screaming at us. This is good. This will make you feel good. This is comfortable. Don't you want some time to yourself? Don't you just want to do this thing? Whatever it is, we wear a new name and we serve a new master. That now we can look sin and temptation in the face and say, no. You are not the boss of me anymore. I don't have to bend the knee to you. I bend the knee to my King Jesus only. But we do this, do it all the time. We hear these voices, we feel the temptation and we go, that thing that oppressed me and held me down for so long. Right now, I wanna go back to that. And Jesus, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we lose sight of who he is and the freedom that he offers, even as a new master, benevolent and kind, but again, where the story gets off a little bit is not because of anything we've done. It's not because of of Carl's good hard work ethic. It's only because of his freedom and joy that he says, I want you to be free in me. So in gospel application, Jesus has set you free from sin to be free in him. That killing sin, it is hard work. Fighting sin, fighting temptation day in, day out, moment by moment is hard. And to give in is the easy thing. And that's where we get to look to Jesus who was tempted like we are and we were, yet he never sinned. Again, I've used this illustration before, but if I'm working out and I'm lifting weights and I'm working out with somebody who's much stronger than me and they're able to lift the weight and I'm not, I fall and I get crushed under the weight of it, who really knows and appreciates the weight of that weight. (laughs) It's the one who can lift it. That Jesus over and over lifts the weight, never is crushed by the weight that we feel from temptation, never gives in because that's the easy way out. Jesus says, be in me, follow me. I will set you free from that. Keep your eye on me because now sin is a choice. We can look our old master in the face and say, not today. Jesus has set you free to be free indeed. We have communion uh, that we do every week here at Lower Town. We take these elements to remember the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We take the bread that represents his body that was broken for us. We take the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us to cover the wrath that we deserved. He is the only way. The gospel is the answer. Nothing that I can do could ever atone. Jesus is the one that has set us free. So we take these elements to remember what it is that Christ did for us. You don't need to be a member of this church or a member of any church. Maybe it's your first time in a church in a long time. Maybe it's your first time in church your entire life. But if you hear the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that we have, and you're like, man, I, I want that. I do see him as beautiful. I do see him as glorious. And I wanna follow him. And I would love for you to take these elements with us as a family as one that sees that we have a new song since Jesus came. We serve a new master. We wear a new name. We walk a new road. We have a new goal. We know a new peace down deep in my soul. Let me pray. And then worship team's going to come back up and play a few songs. So grab the elements as you see fit. Uh, stand and worship uh, whenever you'd feel like that. Um, but we will sing uh, together. And I'll be back up to close. Let's pray. Heavenly Father thank you again just for the time that we have to look at your word. That uh, those of us who are in Christ, that we have been set free to be free indeed. That we at once were slaves to sin. We could do nothing but sin. We could do nothing but have everything completely, totally depraved. But you have set us free from that uh, tyrannical master of sin, to be free in you, to see real freedom, even under pursuing holiness. So God, I just pray that for all of us, that wherever we're at, whatever we're struggling with, uh, that your gospel would open our hearts and minds to look at whatever it is and say, I can choose Jesus over that. And God, in your spirit, would you motivate and and push our hearts to have more of a desire to pursue holiness and sanctification through your son. And it's in his most glorious and precious name that we pray in Jesus. Amen.